the homeschool enthusiast. This is the podcast inspiring a generation of parents and students to escape public school prisons, develop a passion for lifelong learning, and promote family as the center of an education. At the homeschool enthusiast, we believe the best learning happens outside a classroom and that every student has unlimited God-given potential. And here's your host, entrepreneur and proud homeschool graduate, Noah Tetzner. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Today, I'm joined by Sarah Janice Brown, a creative learning specialist and homeschooling mom. Sarah is the founder of both Thinking Tree Books and Dyslexia Games, both wonderful resources for homeschooling families, which I'm sure we'll discuss in a short while. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. It's absolutely my pleasure. Well, Sarah, for those who haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? All right. Well, right now, our family is living in Kauai, and uh, we've been here for almost a year now. Uh, A little over a year ago, we went from being the parents of 10 to being the parents of 15 and um, have adopted a sibling group of Ukrainian children. So uh, we are second generation homeschooling, and I started homeschooling when I was 13 years old, and I've homeschooled my kids from the very beginning. And um, we have 12 daughters and three sons, ages four to 20. Our oldest son is married, and he's living in Ukraine, continuing to do volunteer work there. Wow. That's wonderful. That's so exciting. So you mentioned that you are a second generation um, homeschooler yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about your story and your first experiences um, homeschooling? So we're a second generation homeschooling family. So I was the first generation and my kids are the second. So when I was 13 years old and in seventh grade, going through all the middle school drama, um, my younger sister got sick. And my parents decided to homeschool her. And so I kind of watched the whole homeschooling thing going on. And we lived in Ohio, and this was 1991. And we had never met homeschoolers before. And um, my mom had heard about the homeschooling movement and was very curious about it and had done a lot of research, but she thought that she wasn't really qualified to be a teacher. But when, um, When my sister got sick and there was really no other option but for her to homeschool, they brought her home and um, spent a lot of money on curriculum. They got her all set up with Paces and Abeka and Saxon and all this stuff. And though I love the idea of homeschooling, the idea of using those kinds of books and workbooks sounded kind of miserable to me, but still I thought, Things at school were so much worse. I would love to come home. So I begged my parents over Christmas vacation not to send me back to school. And I told them about all the terrible things that were going on in my school. And they decided to go ahead and give in and let me homeschool. That's absolutely wonderful. And how did, how do you feel as though your life as um, really a teenager and, you know, still a child maturing into adulthood? Um, was able to blossom because of your homeschooling experience? So I really loved what happened to me when we started homeschooling because um, my parents told me that they didn't have enough money to buy curriculum for me. 
And that was one of the reasons why they didn't want to start homeschooling until after the end of the school year, because we would have to get it the tax return and then we could buy books. And they'd already spent so much on my sister's really uh, expensive curriculum that they really felt like they weren't prepared to homeschool me. So I said, well, we live two blocks from the library. Everything I need is there. And they're like, okay, well, this year we'll just use the library and you can study whatever you want. And next year we'll get serious. And my mom thought this was a good idea because they had noticed I'd really lost my passion for learning. And um, she thought, well, if we just focus on using the library and letting and letting her learn whatever she wants, maybe she'll have a drive to learn again. And so what my parents thought was kind of an inconvenience, it turned out to be amazing for me. And so I remember going to the library and uh, I, th I think the librarian asked, well, what do you want to learn about? And I said, well, let me just explore. And so I spent some time exploring the library. And I remember deciding that I wanted to learn about architecture, nutrition, ancient Egypt, brain development, and the history of clothing. And so um, I got a big stack of books on those topics. And my mom bought me a stack of composition notebooks, those ones with the black and white speckles on the front. And she said, okay, you can uh, do each of these subjects, ancient Egypt, history of fashion. And she was pretty happy I had chosen things that were relevant to science and history and, and, um, and to take notes and draw pictures from the books. And I had chosen a lot of um, really high-level books, more like college-level books than, um, you know, like seventh-grade-level books. And she thought that was a good thing. And, um, and I began to gather up all my library books and all my notebooks, and I would go out into the forest behind my house, and I'd do my school every day. I'd even, like, take take my lunch out there with me and I would build a fire and I would just spend all day out there with my notebooks, my sketch pad, my library books. And that was what homeschooling became to me. That sounds, that's so cool. That's such a remarkable story. Now, now I'm curious, you know, certainly when embracing that style of learning, I don't know, perhaps there needs to be a certain level and a certain level that you had at that age of, um, you know, work ethic and um, really staying focused on your subjects. You know, as someone who was not a fully matured um, young adult yet, did you ever find yourself struggling to stay focused on your well, studies? Not at this point. And I'll tell you a little story. But at this point, my parents let me study whatever I wanted. And um, I was really excited about it. I became very fascinated by ancient Egypt, the history of clothing and architecture. And when it began to get a little bit boring for me, my parents began to have ideas about how to turn it into something real. So my dad suggested I start a jewelry making business so I could make money and build something. And uh, I was really excited about architecture. So he said, well, why don't we build a, a little cottage out in the woods where you do your school? And we can use, um, you know, a building project to study architecture and geometry. And my dad and I had never really been that close before this. 
But once I started my jewelry business, I started making money and saving up to build this cottage. My dad and I started designing this uh, this little cottage out in the backyard, buying all the materials. And he was really excited that I was having a real life practical experience. And I wanted to make it like uh, like you were stepping back into 1850. And it was it was a lot of fun. And so whenever I started to get a little bit bored with just reading library books and taking notes, my parents would come up with projects. And then I began doing more and more projects. And at the end of the school year, I had to take the uh, standardized test that Ohio requires for all the kids to take. And my parents were like, oh, no, we didn't even do school this year. And they're like, well, don't even worry about it. Just do your best. and uh, this will just give us give us an idea of where your learning gaps are so we can make sure that you're on grade level next year. And so I took the test and nobody really had high hopes for me because I had always been pretty much a straight C student. Uh, in th- I had failed third grade because I was more of a CDF student in third grade. So I repeated third grade and then I became a good little C student, though I was always very proud of my A's in art class, but that was about it. And so. No one had really high hopes that I was going to do well on the test, but when the scores came back, I had scored on an 11th grade level in every subject except spelling, which I was at an 8th grade level. And so I was like, okay, well, what we're doing is working, so I don't have to do school until 11th grade, right, except spelling. And they laughed, and the tax return came, and they bought me all these boring school books. And so it was like, Uh, And sorry for those of you who love this stuff, but it was torture for me to come out of this amazing time of projects and unschooling and library-based learning to having Saxon and Abeka and Bob Jones. And so they made me get up every morning, sit at the dining room table, and go through these typical textbooks and workbooks. And it was miserable for me. And I did this for about three months and my parents saw the love of learning just kind of disappear. And um, I think my parents kind of decided that we should go back to the library-based homeschooling that worked so well for me. And, um, and so we did. So is it fair to say then, I know a lot of people know you as the creator of Thinking Tree Books, which my family um, has used for uh, quite some time. But is, is it fair to say that this uh, experience that you had growing up and this um, experience of really self-directed learning and using l- utilizing the resources of a library that was kind of the um, inspiration yeah, it really for thinking was. Tree. And um, what happened was um, when I started homeschooling my own children, I had the idea of doing uh, classical education and a lot of Charlotte Mason and Montessori ideas. And so I had turned a couple different rooms in our house. We had this gigantic 14-room Victorian house on Main Street in a historic town. And we had a lot more space than we needed. So I turned one room into like a Montessori uh, imagination room. And I turned another room into a one-room schoolhouse type of uh, room with like old-fashioned desks and a chalkboard and the American flag. And so I would go back and forth with my kids between like 
Montessori in the imagination room to classical learning in the one room schoolhouse to um, Charlotte Mason in the backyard. And it was it was a lot of fun. And I thought it was going to work really well for my kids until um, it worked wonderful for my son. My oldest son loved it. He absolutely loved it. My daughters loved the imagination room and didn't want to do anything but the imagination room. But my son really loved um, loved the whole classical education. Um, I began to uh, do the Charlotte Mason education and the classical and the Montessori. And I was having a lot of fun really uh, creating a really amazing learning environment for my kids. We would wake up in the morning, we would have breakfast, and then we would start school. And I would... Um, I would use a lot of like audiobooks and like story of the world because I had I had um five children in six and a half years. And so I was trying to create an environment of learning where the kids could do a lot of do-it-yourself type of things. And then I would mainly focus on reading lessons and math lessons. But it was really exhausting to me because I was also taking care of toddlers and babies. But the toddlers and the preschoolers really loved the imagination room and the Montessori zone I had set up. So it seemed to be working really well until I began to see that Anna was not responding to any of the reading lessons that I was doing with her. And I tried so many different reading lessons, phonics, whole word, sight words, all different kinds of curriculum. Nothing was working. And one day we were sitting outside and I was making new flashcards for her and um, just trying to get her to tell the difference between a lowercase b and a lowercase d. And she said, Mom, I will never know the difference between a lowercase d and a lowercase b because they are exactly the same. And I don't need to learn how to read anyway because I'm going to be an artist and a mommy when I grow up. And so... I um, didn't really know what to do, so I began to put her into uh, tutoring classes, after-school tutoring classes, and um, tried to get help to see if maybe I'm doing something wrong, maybe someone else can help her, but nothing was working. Months of these tutoring classes, and she's still having the same problems. But one day, there's a substitute teacher and the teacher happens to be a dyslexia specialist. And she spends a lot of time with Anna that day. And at the end of the class, she, um, she comes to me and she said, you know, this method of learning and all these books and worksheets are not going to work for your daughter because she's dyslexic and there's no cure for that. So I really panicked. I thought there was really something wrong with Anna, that she had some kind of disease. And I began to do a lot of research on dyslexia. And in my research, I came across a TED Talk by Sir Ken Robinson called Do Schools Kill Creativity? And as I listened to this, I really began to understand Anna. And I decided, you know what? She's not sick. She's an artist. She really is an artist. She, her mind was designed for art, for music, for logic, for creating. And so I decided I was going to allow Anna to major in the arts while I try to figure out how to teach her how to read and write. And so at that point, I was watching her um, draw this amazing picture. 
And I got an idea to use art and logic, her gifts, to teach her how to read and write. And that's when I developed Dyslexia Games. And uh, so after trying out Dyslexia Games with her, it worked. And within three months, she was reading and writing with very little symptoms of dyslexia. She was a lot slower than other kids her age in reading, but she was doing it. And so I began to test my games out on other homeschooling families who had kids with reading problems. And we discovered that Dyslexia Games works. So at that point, we had the idea to start the Thinking Tree Publishing Company and publish Dyslexia Games. And um, about 80,000 children or more have gone through the program and probably less than 30 have um, asked for a refund because it didn't work for them. And we've had amazing success. And uh, it was several years later that we started um, fun schooling, though I was doing with my children what we call fun schooling. I began to open up my method of homeschooling to the world through fun schooling journals. And we can uh, talk more about that too. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm really curious, you know, you mentioned this term fun schooling, and perhaps, you know, you were the one who coined the term. Can you tell us a little bit more about fun schooling journals and really what that term fun schooling means to you? So in the process of doing all the research about dyslexia, I discovered the concept of unschooling. And I began to do a lot of research on unschooling and kind of testing it out on my kids. And though it worked really well for my daughter, Esther, it didn't work really well for Isaac and Anna because they actually needed more structure and they needed a lot more, um, they needed a lot more help and motivation because they weren't as self-motivated as my daughter, Esther. My daughter, Esther has been an unschooler from the beginning and is just a brilliant child. If when she was eight years old, you would ask her what her favorite thing in the world is, she would say research. She loved science. She loved research. She loved reading. She didn't have any learning challenges. And so she was just doing amazing. She loved unschooling. And my daughter, Anna, was really struggling with both. And I was really struggling with how to uh, do these different methods of uh, customizing homeschooling for all the kids. And I had uh, several by then. I think I had like six or seven at this point children. And I really wanted to customize each child's education. So uh, I began to call the form of homeschooling that I was doing with Anna and Rachel fun schooling because it wasn't exactly unschooling, even though it was really focused on their interests and their talent and what I called their majors. It was a lot more uh, directed and I was a lot more involved. And so um, after, after several years of customizing every child's education, I, I was just exhausted. I had nine children. We had been living in Europe for four years and uh, we just had a really busy life. And I was finding it really hard to customize every child's education every day because I wanted each child to have a major. I wanted each one to be learning how to start businesses. I wanted them to do certain things from Charlotte Mason. I wanted to give them a lot of classical literature and excellent literature to do with their copy work. 
and I wanted everything to be fun and driven by their interests. And it was becoming very overwhelming having six or seven school-aged kids, and I kept going back and forth between being really good at organizing everything and going through stages where I just let everybody unschool. And I thought, there's really got to be a better way. And one day, a couple months before my 10th child was born, we were visiting Florida, and I was getting really discouraged because I felt like I wasn't keeping up well with homeschooling and uh, getting ready to have a new baby and getting ready to move back to Ukraine. Because the plan was when the baby was six weeks old, we were going to return to the mission field. And I'm thinking, what can I do to make this easier? So all my kids can do everything I want to do with customizing their education without me having to customize it every day. And um, one day I was at the library and I just had this idea for creating a book that would give my kids six weeks worth of homeschooling material that they could do on their own with their stack of library books and their interests and uh, with documentaries and tutorials and audiobooks where I wouldn't have to tell them what to do every day. I could just put their plan into a do-it-yourself library-based homeschooling journal. So I came up with the idea that I was going, they were going to need to do 10 pages every day and each page would tell them what to do. There would be a reading time, there would be a time for an audiobook, and in the journal they would take notes or answer questions based on each activity. They had reading time, nature study, film study, uh, a logic game, a coloring page. And I went back and forth between an academic activity like reading, spelling, and math and a creative activity or a logic game or some kind of passive activity. Because I know that if you stack up too many uh, academic activities in a short period of time, the kids pretty much forget everything. So I designed the pages so that they would know exactly what to do and they would have everything based on the library books that they chose based on their major and their interests. And so when it was time for the baby to be born, I uploaded all of these do-it-yourself homeschooling journals to Amazon so that I could print the books and have them shipped to myself so that I could use them with my kids. And I asked each of the kids what they wanted on the cover of their books and so I made about eight different uh, do-it-yourself fun schooling books with eight different covers, and I put them up on Amazon, and then I had them sent to my house, print on demand. And then I kind of forgot that I put them on Amazon, but I put them up there just in case any of my friends or people who use dyslexia games might be interested in trying out this method too. But it was really a big experiment. and so. I was really busy with the new baby. This method was working great with my kids. They were doing all the things that I wanted them to do every day without me having to tell them. And it was all built into the journals. And we moved to Ukraine and just started doing our mission work there. And I was so freed up from uh, having to customize my kids' education every day that I found myself with a lot more free time, a lot more time to focus on my baby, 
on my toddler, on the preschoolers. And I thought, I'm not just going to use these these fun schooling journals for six weeks so I can recover from the baby. I'm just going to keep doing this. So about um, two months later, my husband comes to me. He's like, what are you selling on Amazon? And I'm like, selling on Amazon? Oh, the the fun schooling journals. He's like, oh, okay, well, thanks. You made an extra $5,000 this month. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, you sold hundreds of them. Oh, really? He's like, yeah. And he's like, this is pretty cool. Can we do more of this? And I'm like, okay. And so the next, when my kids used up those journals, um, they wanted more, but they wanted them to be customized really on the things they were interested in. So my daughter Naomi wanted me to do a horse-themed fun schooling journal. And um, an, another daughter wanted a Bible-themed fun schooling journal. And they all they all had different ideas. One of them wanted a travel theme. One of them wanted fashion. And one of them wanted more of a science theme. So for their next set of books that I was going to use with them, I had them help design the books, come up with the themes, and the next generation of library-based fun schooling journals were born and my kids had helped design them. And so I agreed with my kids if they did uh, most of the work of updating the books based on themes, they would get 50% of the royalties. So now my kids are having all kinds of ideas for all kinds of fun schooling books that they want to use for their own curriculum and they want to sell. And so uh, the Thinking Tree became a business that all my kids were excited about because not only were they designing their own curriculum, they were selling their books to kids all over the world. And then my son Isaac had the idea to make a Minecraft-themed fun schooling journal. I'm like, well, I'm not sure if we can get permission to do that. But he got permission from uh, the makers of Minecraft to make Minecraft-themed fun schooling journals. And the day he released his Minecraft-themed fun schooling journal, he sold hundreds of them. And so when he began getting his royalties, he started buying all kinds of filmmaking equipment, music equipment, and he started his business doing uh, filming music videos, documentaries, and things for other people. And by the time he was 18 years old, he was self-sufficient. He lived in his own three-bedroom home with a fireplace, was doing volunteer work on the side, and was completely independent, ready to just be on his own. And uh, a year later, he got married, and he and his wife have been happily living in Ukraine, doing volunteer work, and continuing to make Thinking Tree books. So it's been an amazing thing. We started only four years ago making all of the journals. That's so wonderful. That's such a wonderful story. Um, I think that's that's amazing, you know. And I and I think that's so cool how uh, your son Isaac was able to, um, you know, implement things so educational as Minecraft and so relevant into um, the Thinking Tree books. Well, you know, you talked about how you and your family um, used to live in Ukraine, and I know that you guys have done um, some wonderful missionary work. And you've had so many exciting opportunities to travel across the world working in ministry. Uh, could you share with us some of the many adventures 
only made possible because of homeschooling. So because we were homeschooling, that was going to be really easy. We knew we could homeschool anywhere. And the challenge was, how are we going to have an income source? And so that's when we got really serious about making uh, Dyslexia Games a business that we were hoping would support our family. And so first, uh, my husband got a job working remotely for a vacation company so he could work from anywhere. And we knew we could live off of the money from selling the business. So we moved to Northern Italy first. And we lived about, uh, about an hour train ride from Venice. And it, it was really amazing because uh, we made geography and history such an incredible part of our homeschooling experience at this time. And we were able to go where World War I battles were fought. We were able to go just uh, and see Rome to be in the places where people from the Bible walked. And, um, and homeschooling came really alive to our kids in a whole new way. And so we lived for a year in Italy doing uh, work with a Bible college there. My husband and I were teaching at a Bible college, and we were um, just living life and having an amazing time homeschooling there. And then uh, after a year in Italy, we moved to Ukraine. And uh, once again, it was just, it was perfect for homeschooling. The only problem was I was carrying around about a thousand books with me. And uh, that, that was the crazy part. And no one wanted to do their work on Kindles or iPads because we love real books. And so trains, we also lived during this time without a car. So for four years, we were in 12 different countries with no car, and half of the time we didn't even have a smartphone. We actually were kind of doing an experiment with the kids of what life would be like with no car and no smartphone. And we traveled to 12 different countries all over Europe over about four months with, without a car and without a phone. And we were teaching them how to use maps, all kinds of fun stuff like that. We lived in Portugal. We lived for a little while in um, the UK, just only two weeks in the UK. And we were in Germany, Austria, France, and uh, Portugal. And then uh, after that, we went back to Florida for five months and then returned to Ukraine. So, uh, so it's been quite an amazing adventure there. Wow. Yeah, that's um, so cool. Yeah, I, I love that story. And I love that. You've been able to um, really, you know, just, you know, this style of learning is so, uh, you know, time and location free. I think that's wonderful. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's really been an honor speaking with you here on the podcast. And I will put a link to the Fun Schooling Journals and Dyslexia Games in the description of this episode and highly encourage people listening to uh, check out those um, wonderful resources for your homeschool family. But again, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Well, you're welcome. It's really been a joy. Thanks for inviting me again. Thank you for listening to The Homeschool Enthusiast. Subscribe for free wherever you listen to podcasts. Twice a week, we bring you a message of hope and freedom. 
remembering that every student has unlimited, God-given potential, and the best learning happens outside of classrooms. 